I'd like us to spend some time considering together the opening two paragraphs of Romans chapter 8. So if you would turn there, please, and follow along as I read. Verses 1 through 11, Romans 8. <clears throat> there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set, your, set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit's life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we recognize that unless your, your spirit quickens your word, brings it to life, helps us understand, uses it to speak to us and challenge us and encourage us, we'll not receive, not receive anything beneficial and so, I ask that you, by your Spirit, would rest upon me and upon all those that are here today. May it be a profitable time. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. This is a, a triumphal passage. It's a passage that encourages us after Paul's described in chapter 7, the spiritual struggles that we have in life. That coming into the Christian life <clears throat> is not just a life of peace and tranquility, but we become aware, I think, of, of spiritual conflicts <clears throat> and struggles that we were not aware of prior 
to come into Christ. And so, Paul is describing in chapter 7, if you reflect back on the chapter, his struggles. Chapter 7, he, he speaks of uh, the warrings of his soul. Uh, his inability to keep the law. His struggle. A struggle with the flesh and the indwelling presence of his sin nature. This warring, this warring of soul is uh, intense. And for Paul, it was so intense, so troubling, so disturbing to him, that he writes in verse 24 of chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. Have you ever felt that way? That <clears throat> I'm wretched. There's nothing good in me. I'm so keenly aware of my bent toward sin that it deeply troubles me. I think every renewed Christian, genuinely blood-bought and born-again believer, goes through seasons, their valleys, where the spiritual struggle is quite intense. Well, Paul's in that place. He reflects back. I can't keep the law. He loved the law. He did his best to keep it, but he failed. Struggle's intense. The anguish is, is quite apparent as Paul expresses it. There's desperation in the question. You relate. You feel at times extremely conflicted. Well, all of us have. And this experience is very distressing. It's a battle we can't win in our own strength. Rather, it brings us to our knees. It drives us to Christ. And this was, this was Paul's experience. Look at verse 25 of chapter 7, if you want to just go back to that. The question is, who will deliver me? And here's Paul's response. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our, our um, despotise, the one who rules over us, he's the one, and he alone, who delivers us from this body of death. Our devotion to Christ radically alters our obligations. It changes fundamentally our relationship to the flesh and to the law of sin. Listen, it's important that we recognize the indwelling presence of sin in our lives. It's important that we, we acknowledge the presence of passions and, and impulses of the flesh. Our, our sinful and spiritual struggles, they occur. And they occur at the intersection of of flesh and spirit to deny this 
is to deny the spiritual realities of a faithful Christian life. But these spiritual struggles don't put our salvation at risk. They don't alter our justified standing in Christ. This is made plain. It's made plain by Paul's opening statement in chapter 8. It's an indicative declaration. It's a a strong statement of reality, of, of what is. He says, there is therefore. Here's the conclusion. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is an emphatic statement of our secure standing in Jesus. Anyone who's in union with Christ because they're trusting, because you're trusting Christ, you're clinging tightly to Him, your salvation, your standing before God is secure, safe. You're safe. No matter how intense the spiritual struggle may be, if you're surrendered, if you have surrendered surrendered your life to Jesus, genuinely, in true repentance, and in faith, you're now in Him. You're covered by His righteousness. You're sustained in the presence of God's holiness by the perfections of Jesus. Because of this, because of this redemptive union, we're absolutely free from condemnation. We're free from the punitive judgment of God. Why is that? It's because Christ took the punishment for us. This is good news. It's the good news of the gospel. Our salvation is secure. We're safe. We're safe in Christ, even though we continue to struggle with sin and the flesh. We're not trusting. And this is an important thing to understand. It's fundamental. Most of us do. We're not trusting our self-generated goodness. We've let, we've let the works righteousness project go. And we're trusting the finished work of Christ at Calvary. We've come to Him empty-handed, nothing to offer. said, Lord, cover my sin. Become my Lord. I want to serve You. I want you to notice why we're free in Christ. Verse 2, for or because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This, This is a spiritual declaration of emancipation. Our relationship to sin is changed when we surrender to Jesus. 
when we trust Christ, we're brought into a life shaped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Being in union with Christ. Having our lives twisted into the life of Jesus. In that relationship, we're set free. We're set free of our obligation to the law of sin and death. We're emancipated. We're covenantally declared free. We're no longer under obligation to the sinful passions and impulses of the flesh. Our deliverance is established. And it's established by and in Christ. Aside, little notation. Law, in both of these phrases, means the operative power of either the spirit of life or sin and death. Because we're now, we're now in union with Christ. We're redeemed. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer obligated, legally bound to surrender to sin as our master. We're now servants of Christ. In conversion, we've experienced a change of ownership. We now belong to Christ. As Paul writes in his first Corinthian letter, you are not your own. I wonder, do we believe this? Paul says, you are, you are not your own. You, are, you were bought with a price. So glorify, honor God in your body, in your soma, your whole self. Give your life to Him. Acknowledge that He's your Lord. And we're simply servants, simply love slaves of Jesus. Such good news. It's the news that we now can grow. We are freed now to grow in grace. We're freed to make progress in holiness. The law, the operative power of sin and death has been overruled by the law, by the operative power of the Spirit of life. The active presence of sin and death in our lives hasn't been eliminated. And I think we need to understand that. We're quite aware of it. But rather, it's been overruled. It's been subsumed by the law of the Spirit of life. Much like, much like the law of gravity is overruled by the law of aerodynamics, so an airplane can fly. Gravity doesn't cease to exist. It's, it's not canceled but rather it's overruled by another law that allows that airplane to soar. The point is this. 
since we're in Christ, we're legally positioned and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live Christ-honoring lives. We can continue to yield. We can yield to the impulses of sin and the flesh. Or, or we can engage in the struggle. We can resist and choose to go God's way. Our wills are now free to be exercised in a Godward direction. And that's good news. And part of uh, the whole Christian experience and growing in grace is engaging in the conflict between flesh and spirit. And now that we are given the freedom to choose to go God's way, to exercise our volition and say, Lord, I'm in the middle of a struggle. The, the passions of the flesh seem to be so strong. And get on your face before God and say, Lord, I want to go your way. Ask for His empowerment. And He'll help us. And we'll find ourselves freed from the temptation. And finding the grace to be faithful. Companion question is, who emancipated us? The answer is plainly stated by Paul in verses 4 and 5. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. In order, uh, hina, in, in order, it's a purpose statement, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God has done. God has done what the demands of the law could not do because of human weakness. God intervened. He intruded into the human situation. And He did this by sending His Son who took to Himself the flesh and humanity of man and became a sin offering. He physically laid His life down at Calvary. He died. Died in our place. And He condemned. He legally passed sentence on sin. That condition, condition of rebellion that we all possess, condemned it, passed sentence on sin, freeing us those of us who trust Christ from the tyranny of sin's power. We can now grow in holiness. We can become the kind of people we're declared to be, sons and daughters of God, sanctified saints, 
the operative power of the Holy Spirit has enlivened the goodness of the law in our lives. John Fisher, in his musical, The New Covenant, writes this line, to run and work the law commands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's the line. It bids me fly and gives me wings. This is the claim Paul's making. What, what God's done. What He's done for us in Christ not only emancipates us from the slavery of sin, it reorients our lives. It changes the way we think. It reshapes the way we live. It alters our disposition. And it produces very different outcomes in life. Paul states this very clearly in verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to, to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice, life in the flesh and life in the Spirit produce very different sets of mind. The natural mind is hostile to God. It's dismissive of the things of God. It gives no place to the Gospel. Rather, it's preoccupied with what Paul calls the things of the flesh. Ideas, pursuits, activities, that appeal to our sinful nature, preoccupations with what Solomon uh, refers to as life under the sun, pursuing sensual pleasures, gaining social status, acquiring wealth and material things. That's the set of mind for those who are in the flesh. This set of mind produces um, some passing pleasures, but ultimately it uh, results in death. I want you to listen to a quote. <clears throat> this is from Dr. Francis Schaeffer in his book, How Should We Then Live? And he says that most Americans have no higher philosophy of life than personal peace and affluence. 
That's the set of mind of those who are in the flesh. Personal pleasure and affluence. I don't know if you remember, perhaps you do, in 2018, we had this uh, literally illustrated in the suicides of fashion designer um, Kate Spade and celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain. Had everything it seemed. Their lives ended in suicide. Listen, the things of the flesh are so alluring. Young people, this is absolutely true for you as you enter into your lives. The things of the flesh are so, so attractive. They, they seem to offer everything we want in life. But they're deceptive. They give us just enough of what we want to distract us from what we truly need. Life. Eternal life. Peace. Peace with God. And spiritual contentment. What's the set of your mind? What's the orientation of your life? It would determine and also be exposed by what you spend your time on, how you manage your money, and where you invest most of your energy. Take a close look. Don't fall to the deceptions of this natural mindedness. Perhaps, perhaps the most disturbing verse in the passage is verse 8. Those who are in the flesh, those who are dominated and driven by the sin nature, cannot please God. The expressions of the flesh that focus on the self and promote human pride are all displeasing to God, whether those expressions are good or bad. God looks. He looks below the externals and He sees the heart. What's motivating your goodness? Is our good behavior self-serving? Does it feed our pride? What motivates our good behavior? That, that's as important as uh, the behavior itself. What motivates our good behavior is crucially important. Is it simply the manifestation of the self-centered self? For example, I want to live in a way that I'm well-liked, 
I want to please the people around me. I want to gain advantage or I desire the praise of man. That's why I'm good. What's hidden is more important than what's seen. According to Paul, what's most important is our standing before God. Are we living in the flesh or in the spirit? Put another way, are we regenerate or are we dead in our sins? The closing paragraph of our text is is very reassuring. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. In closing, There are three statements made here that I want to draw your attention to. Verse 9, last sentence. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. A true Christian is one sovereignly born of the Spirit, one who's been brought into the life of the Spirit by Regeneration. If you've surrendered to Christ and you've done it through true repentance and faith, then you can be assured that the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're a Christian. If not, you're not a true Christian. At best, your Christianity is only a religious preference. Then look at verse 10 again. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of right, the spirit of life is, is life because of righteousness. As spirit enlivened Christians, we occupy two spheres of existence. We live in a fallen world distinguished by death and we're experiencing life in the, in the Spirit distinguished by participation in the resurrected life of Christ. We have life in the midst of death. And we have this life because of the grace of justification. Because we've been declared righteous. And we've been set right with God by God's grace. Finally, 
our life in the Spirit now guarantees our future bodily resurrection. Verse 11. Wonderful, wonderful promise. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you're a true Christian. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We have a bright future. It's a future grounded in the promise of bodily resurrection. A future in which immortality and incorruptibility overrule death in all its forms. Gospel of hope. It's good news. And it's good news because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? That's the question. Are you trusting Christ alone for your salvation? And are you trusting Him every day, every moment of the day, preaching the gospel to yourself every moment of the day? That's what it means to be in Him. No condemnation, free from judgment. That's good news. Pray with me, please. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer. The fact that when we're in Him, we're free. We've been brought into true life freed from condemnation. Thank you for the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would work in each of our hearts very deeply and in our minds as we surrender again today to you, acknowledging that you are our kurios, our Lord, that we're your love slaves, your servants, Touch our lives and empower us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' precious name.